This is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Well, welcome in to White Sox Weekly, day before Mother's Day. That causes alarm bells to go off inside your brain. Then you have not bought flowers and you have not made proper preparations for Mother's Day. But if you're on top of things, like yours truly, sort of, then you're all set and ready to go. And this Saturday can be full of baseball as we prepare for another Mother's Day, one of the best holidays on the calendar. Welcome to the show. Sox fans, start planning your group out into the ballpark. We have party areas of all sizes that can be perfect for you and your group. Learn more about our spaces, including the CIBC fan deck or a patio party. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash party or call or text 312-674-1000. A little bit of White Sox news as we get started here on White Sox Weekly just a little bit ago. Sox made a roster move. We'll tell you about that in just a moment. we got a ball game coming up tonight. White Sox dropped the first against the Astros. It's the first of a, a nine-game, ten-day homestand last night, and it did not go the White Sox way, that's for sure. The offense stymied uh, by a couple of different Houston pitchers, J.P. France, Hector Neris, Brian Abreu, and Ryan Presley, uh, to name the quartet that worked for Houston last night. They got two more and a chance to take a home series. It is a really big portion of the White Sox schedule right now. You know, the last week was up and down for the White Sox, to be sure. Three and four on the road trip, now three and five in the last week total. They played a good series in Cincinnati after playing a good series against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, but when they head to Kansas City, things went sideways a little bit. KC won the first one in a blowout. Lucas Giolito continues to pitch exceptionally well and did so in that second game against KC. So that was a split of the first two. Sox got blown out in the third one, and then in that fourth ball game with a 3-3 tie in the bottom of the ninth, the Royals were able to take a leadoff bunt, work them all the way over to third base, leadoff bunt and a single, uh, and then another bunt. A safety squeeze ended up being the death knell for the White Sox on that particular day. A lot of rain over the last week. There have been three rain delays in the last four games, not counting today, starting yesterday and working backward, three rain delays in the last four. So that can tax a pitching staff at times. Fortunately for the White Sox, uh, it hasn't, not in the way you'd get a, a rain delay in the middle of a game and then have to tap into more pitchers or what have you. The White Sox have not had to scratch a starter or anything like that, which has been very good. You know, But it can be taxing a little bit, sitting around there waiting in the clubhouse for your, uh, for your name to be called, for your number to be your number to be called. So it has been, you know, one of those weeks where, you know, unfortunately from both sides, the, the offensive standpoint and the pitching standpoint, it's been a little bit more of the same with some brighter lights, probably on, on both sides of things. It's just been tough for those brighter lights to shine through, given the fact that the team is now 13 and 27. Uh, the division, the AL Central, continues to keep the White Sox more or less in it. It is not unfathomable for them to make up the ground that they need to make up, but they need to start playing better baseball in order to get themselves to that point. The White Sox are also on the verge, it looks like, of bringing back a couple of big-time contributors to their bullpen in Liam Hendricks and Garrett Crochet. 
Either one of them could be joining the ball club in the next couple of days. Liam's got one more rehab assignment we know for sure. Could be more, but at least one more rehab assignment coming up tomorrow for the Charlotte Knights. He worked in back-to-back days in Thursday and Friday's ball game. Nope, sorry about that. Wednesday and Thursday's ball game. Friday and Saturday off. He'll pitch again on Sunday. And then a big evaluation of where things are at, where Liam's at, where the stuff is at, where the bounce back is at, all that good stuff um, after the game on Sunday. The AAA schedule is off on Monday, so they may use that day as well. The White Sox are off on Monday. Uh, So even if Liam came back to Chicago, there would be no ball game for him to play in on Monday, which would be convenient from from an evaluation standpoint. The big news today for the White Sox is that Elvis Andrews, who left the game last night, was placed on the injured list this afternoon. It is an oblique strain for Elvis. Romy Gonzalez, who was on the injured list with a hamstring issue, was activated today, so he takes the roster spot. One even flip. Andrews on the IL and Romy Gonzalez back from the injured list. We do have a lineup out for the White Sox and Astros today already. I'm going to run you through that real quick because I think what you're thinking is the same as what Pedro Grafal was thinking or what Pedro was thinking is the same as what you're thinking. In the second base spot today and hitting seven is Hanser Alberto. Now, Hanser's been swinging a hot bat for the White Sox over the last couple of weeks, and you want to try and keep that guy in your lineup and feeling the way he has. This is why he's here. He can play a bunch of different positions, third, second, a little bit of short if he absolutely had to, some first base he's played already. He's played more second base than any other spot in his big league career, and definitely over the last couple of years that has been the case. Alberto, since the month of May started, and you can go back even a little bit farther if you want to, but since the month of May started, has hit 281. The 355 on base percentage and a 594 slugging percentage. He has hit two home runs, walked three times, driven in eight, struck out five times. It's just been a real good smattering of performances for Hanser Alberto. And and some of those home runs, I think both of them have come in situations where the White Sox needed uh, those dingers in order to keep things going for themselves against the Reds. Well, you know, one of them was was in a loss to the Reds on 5-3. Uh, 5-3 ball game, and the other was in that 17-4 blowout. Uh, He's got the three-run homer, his first of the season against the Twins that helped the Sox win a ball game back on April 10th. Uh, But what this enables, what this ought to enable Pedro Grifol to do is turn to a guy who's been swinging it well, a veteran who understands that position. Granted, hasn't played a whole lot of second base so far. This year, it's been mostly third base for Hanser Alberto. Uh, and then Romy Gonzalez. You know, this is um, it, it, it's been a real tough start to the season for Romy. Uh, a lot of strikeouts, not much contact. He'd gotten spattering playing time left and right field, a little bit of second base, not a whole lot. I believe he spotted in at third once or twice, just late in games. And I, I think there was a lot of expectation as, as much as you can have on a guy that you know might be your 24th or 25th or 26th man on the roster, depending on how you will look, want to look at it, when the White Sox broke camp. And, and Romy, who had a lot of conversation about him and around him during the offseason, up until the point the White Sox signed Elvis Andrews to be their starting second baseman, he was that guy, right? I mean, Rick Hahn and Pedro Grafal both Really look forward to the opportunity of getting regular at-bats to Romy Gonzalez. And in the end, the ball club decided that turning to a veteran, a guy who made a lot of impact with the White Sox 
in the year prior in 2022 might have been the more stable decision. And you can definitely think along those lines and go, okay, yeah, I can see where that it, it makes a lot of sense. It gives Romy a little bit of a, it, it, as, as many as other guys, as much as other guys, a little bit of runway up to the beginning of the season, uh, through the beginning of the season. Chance to get your feet wet, chance to make some impact and provide some opportunity, but not feel like you might drown, you know, if, if you're going to be out there every day and going through it a little bit kind of in your first full-run big league season. Romy hadn't made a team out of spring training in his career prior to this. So um, what had happened in, instead of, of providing that, uh, that smooth runway up to bigger opportunities perhaps for Romy Gonzalez was it was difficult for him to find those kind of regular bats or success in the intermittent bats that he'd gotten. A lot of strikeouts, like I said earlier, for Romy Gonzalez. But he is back on the roster and hopefully uh, feeling a lot better. It was a shoulder strain for Romy that had kept him out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Elvis Andrews, in case you're just tuning in, on the injured list with a strained oblique. I would bet that there's a lot of Hanser Alberto at second base for the Sox here over the next little bit. Um, the White Sox did just get Yoan Moncada back last night. That was a big thing for the lineup, though the pitching of the Houston Astros did kind of keep the White Sox quiet. Only four base runners all night last night. Luis Robert on base twice, a homer, a single. Gavin Sheets walked, and Sebi Zavala sprayed one into right field. Those were the only four base runners for the White Sox last night. Everybody else... Uh, out on ground out or strikeout, it felt like a couple of pop-ups in there too. But with um, Moncada back, what that does for Grafol in this lineup is is first and foremost allow that switch hitter, a guy who can take a patient AB, um, and and kind of stands out as um, as his his style of approach kind of stands out in a lineup that can be very swingy. You know, this has been the case for the White Sox over the last couple of years, and you can get by, you can thrive with an offense that likes to swing a lot if and when you're making contact and hitting a lot of home runs. Unfortunately for the White Sox so far this year, there have not been a lot of home runs, 41 as a team on the season, uh, which ranks them right about the, the low middle end of the bigs, uh, lowish middle end. The lowest number of the year is uh, 19 uh, team total in home runs, the Cleveland Guardians, uh, and they are better than the White Sox in terms of win-loss record so far this year in the Central. So it's it's not a, a measure of everything, but it is how you get around some of those propensities for some White Sox hitters. Now, what Moncada does differently is is work walks, work counts, and, and provide that kind of on-base percentage in more than just your, your batting average, essentially. When Yoan had gotten started to the season, my goodness, did did things start well for him. He had a seven-game hit streak to begin his 2023. He hit 308 in the first nine games he played. That's as many as he got before the protruding disc in his back ended up being uh, too much and forcing him to the injured list. And and what it sounds like when you talk to Yoan, as, as we everybody did at the ballpark yesterday, when you talk to Pedro Grafal, this is not a thing that is... It's definitely an issue that's subsided. It's not an issue that's absolutely gone away, and it may not be one that completely goes away for some time. Backs are, are tricky is, is one of the things that Pedro has continued to say. Um, and Yoan, for his part yesterday, kind of characterized it like this. He said from the left side, swinging, 
everything feels absolutely normal. From the right side, not normal, but definitely good enough to work with. I, I'm paraphrasing just a little bit, of course, but that's essentially where Moncada kind of felt himself and, and, and kind of understood himself to be coming back to the active roster and ready to roll. You could certainly not argue with the production in his minor league rehab appearances, although, as we've talked about quite a bit, it, it is far more important. I mean, the production is nice, especially when you've got a big league veteran down there making his minor league rehab starts and, and making mincemeat out of out of AAA pitching, as Yoan did. He hit two home runs, hit something like 508 or 480-something down at AAA in, in about five and a half games. He, he came into and out of two early games at third base, just kind of working back in, making sure things were fine. So it's not a full you know, assortment of at-bats that you'd normally get, but plenty for a guy with the established big league experience like Yoan Moncada to feel like he's ready to go. I got to tell you, the at-bats did not look bad for Moncada last night. He was 0 for 4 like everybody else in the top four spots in the White Sox lineup. He uh, had two ground outs in the first two at-bats, one to first base, a sharp one to Jose Abreu over at first. Um, one comebacker to the pitcher that was a little more softly hit. A real hard hit baseball uh, to the second baseman. And then a strikeout in the ninth inning to end things there. So um, Moncada, I thought, was was kind of keying on pitches that looked like you know pitches you can do some damage with. You want to make sure your, your assessment of what that player looks like is, you know, are you swinging at pitches that are in and around the strike zone? Are you positive that 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 kind of command of strike zone is there? That's so key to Moncada's game. And then obviously the other side of, of all of this conversation with Yoan Moncada, and I, I think it is a big part of this conversation, is of course the defense, right? The White Sox have gotten a lot of offensive production from third base so far this year. I mean, they really have, whether it's Moncada's first seven games, Jake Berger filling in after that and hitting the daylights out of baseball after baseball, or as we talked about earlier, Hanser Alberto playing as well as he has at third base and swinging a good bat here in the month of May, hitting 280 with an on-base percentage um, a, a little over 400, believe it or not, in the month of May. I mean, it's just been it's been that kind of good for Hanser Alberto. Um, what's, what's maybe lacking there a bit, and I think most of this speaks to how good Moncada is at third and, and less so you know, what you're getting from the other guys, is Moncada's really good at third base. That infield defense is really good. And if the White Sox, though they are more of a fly ball pitching staff, if the White Sox can be confident that a ball hit to the left side of the infield with Moncada and Anderson over there is going to be gobbled up and thrown over to first – that helps the run prevention, and the White Sox need as much help on the run prevention side as you can get. Every team does, uh, but the White Sox, the way they've been you know, walking hitters so far this year and allowing extra base hits, until that turns around, until that gets fixed to you know more of the back of the baseball card stuff, you'd love to have that kind of defense there, and it has been very good. In, just in one game, and still waiting for the production to return, but just in one game it's been real good to see Moncada back in the lineup and ready to go for the White Sox. He's back in there again today. We'll go through the full lineup when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk a little White Sox this afternoon as we lead into the pregame show for the White Sox and Astros? Feel free. We're your show. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Powering biz. ComEd. Powering lives. Savings figure is hypothetical only. Actual savings will vary based on the measures implemented and on customers' usage and rate. It's simple. The ESPN Chicago app. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We got the White Sox at Astros coming up a little later this evening. Oh, by the way, a White Sox 10-game ticket plan gives you the ultimate flexibility. Pick games based on your schedule and your budget. Don't miss any of the action in 2023. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash ticket plans or call 312-674-1000. We've got the lineup in full. We'll get you that in just 10 seconds. We'll pause it here real quick for station identification. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHEHD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. So here's your one through nine for the White Sox against the Astros tonight. Tim Anderson's in the top spot playing shortstop. Been kind of a tough go for Tim since coming back off the injured list. Still great to see him in the White Sox lineup, obviously. Man, he absolutely beat the, I mean, just the daylight out of a baseball to Jose Abreu last night. First batter of the game for the White Sox. Of course, the Astros batting in the top of the first. Hit a hard hopper over to Abreu, glove side. He went down, scooped it up on one hop and jogged it over to first base. Uh, Tim kind of gave him a little, you know, friendly punch in the back kind of thing. I know that sounds weird. A friendly punch in the back, Connor? Can you friendly punch anyone? No, not really. Uh, But Tim did, and you can if you've been teammates with a guy for the better part of a decade. Um, So that's, you know, that's how that that started last night for T.A. Andrew Benintendi in left field. He's batting second. Andrew Vaughn is at first base, batting three. Yoan Moncada is at third base, of course, and he's batting four. Luis Robert Jr. is in center field, and Gavin Sheets is in right field for the White Sox. Hanser Alberto, as we mentioned, uh, is going to play second base and bat seven. Sebi Zavala will catch and bat eight. Carlos Perez is the designated hitter for the White Sox today, tonight, I should say, uh, and he is going to bat nine. So the issue here, too, we talked about Yasmani Grandal, or rather, sorry, we talked about Elvis Andrews placed on the injured list uh, this afternoon. A strained oblique, the issue for Elvis. Romy Gonzalez activated from the IL uh, to take his space on the roster. Um, but the other kind of, you know, the day-to-day thing the White Sox are dealing with right now is Yasmani Grandal. He's got a, a hamstring tweak, it sounds like. Pedro Grafal was was pretty adamant that this was a hamstring issue that was not affecting, you know, his back, which had grabbed at him a little bit on a swinging strikeout against the Reds last weekend. Um, but hamstrings are, you know, trouble. They're 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 problematic. They're they can be a day to day thing. And Grafal, in his pregame press conference with reporters yesterday was pretty clear when asked about whether there's an IL situation coming up for Yasmani Grandal that they just didn't know yet that with hamstrings, you've got to let that timeline play out a little bit. What you don't want to do, Grafol said, is put a guy on the injured list when it might be, you know, you wake up the next morning, even two days after, and it's more a, a three- or four-day hamstring issue, especially when you're dealing with a catcher, right? There's only there's limited resources there when it comes to catchers on your 40-man roster. Um, but with Grandal, he is also, while Eloy Jimenez is out, while Jake Berger is out, while they wait for some of those, you know, those two power bats to get back into action, um, he's been serving as, as you know, lefty pop, as, as a switch hitter, DH, catcher combo sort of thing. And he's been having a pretty good start to the season. If you look at the numbers for Yasmani Grandal uh, at the start of this year, they look pretty similar to to 
Yasmani Grandal, really. I mean, yeah, there was the second half of the 2021 season where he came back and was absolutely, came back from that knee issue and was absolutely, I mean, just crushing the baseball in terms of slugging percentage. I mean, really a lot of power for Grandal in the second half of 2021. That stands out as kind of the high watermark. He's never slugged more than the 520 that he slugged in that season, 2021. But so far this year, Grandal is hitting 270 with a 349 on base percentage and slugging 426. That is right in line with career averages. He's a career 434 slug. He's a career 350 on base within four or five points on either side of those. And he's hitting 270, uh, which is, call it 30 points, better than his career average. I think what we've seen with Yasmani Grandal this year is, is you know, you, you look around the league, and I'm sure there are other cases that speak as loudly to the change in defense as Yasmani Grandal, but it's it's really difficult for anybody to look at that and tell me that that's not the shift ban working just how you thought the shift ban would. I, I wasn't, and I talked about this, you know, all through the off season and during the lockout in in the in in years past because it was a big co- topic of conversation um, in that lockout season as the two sides discussed the CBA and potential rules changes and all that other kind of stuff. I. I wasn't a big fan of the idea of banning the shift. A lot of different reasons behind that. The most of which was going to be, I I didn't, it didn't sound to me like that's what it was going to, that that it was going to shorten games, that it was going to provide what baseball kind of said it would provide. I'm happy to say I've been somewhat wrong on those accounts. Although the pitch clock, I think has done more work to level out some of those things than the shift ban. But everybody, I mean everybody, including myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not any dumber or smarter than anybody else on this one necessarily, looked at a lefty hitter like Yasmani Grandal, a guy with some pretty good power. Um, let's call it exit velocity, right, instead of just power. Because I think when we say power, sometimes we just kind of think of, you know, ball over fence kind of stuff. Good exit velocity is a guy that can get the barrel to the baseball, isn't fast, and is left-handed. That guy, yes, Monty Grandal, Anthony Rizzo to a certain degree for the Yankees. Like, those were the dudes. Joey Gallo, though he makes a lot more contact in the air and to the pull side uh, than he does ground balls to the pull side. But those those kind of hitters are guys that everyone expected to benefit from the fact that defenses had to be two on either side, two on the left and two on the right. Nobody behind second base, not the way we used to be. I think that 270 average, you know, at least 10, 15, 20 points of that feels like the defensive change. The last time Yasmani Grandal hit anywhere over 245 was his rookie season where he played 60 games and hit 297 for the Padres in 2012. So that's that's not to say that this is mirage because that's what baseball is now. You know, we we're not going back to the defenses where you can stack the right side or put up a wall on the left side and just say, all right, hit it the other way and go. That's not the world we live in anymore. And and, and baseball, like many other sports, I don't see retreating from those rules changes uh, anytime soon. In fact, I think we'll probably end up um, with more rules changes, probably not next year, but down the road. 
more rules changes rather than than rescinding some of those that we already have. Um, so all that to say, Yasmani Grandal has been a pretty meaningful offensive contributor to the White Sox so far this year, and his you know kind of day to day nature at this point puts another spot in the White Sox lineup. Um, up to uh, a young player who's got some pop and and does have you know a couple of standout skills, but hasn't been tested to prove those at the big league level quite yet. Carlos Perez is going to DH for the White Sox today, um, while Sebi Zavala, the other catcher, the, the one of the three catchers on the White Sox roster, will do the the work behind the plate. I I also think that when you when you look at and DJ talked about this during the ball game last night. When you look at roster construction now, I think one of the things that matters quite a bit, you know, we, we talk, okay, in the offseason, I'll talk a lot in spring training about, okay, your starting five is your starting five, but really I'm interested in, in terms of assessing depth about what your starters six, seven, eight all look like, right? I get that you, whatever team we're talking about here, has a good one through five, right? Uh, but tell me what the rest of that infrastructure's pitching depth looks like, that organizational pitching depth looks like. Take the Rays, for example. They've gotten off to an unbelievable start to the season, 20-10 and 10 on the year. They are dealing with injuries up and down their quote-unquote starting rotation. And I only say that because though they've gotten to a lot more of a traditional starting rotation over the last two seasons, they are not afraid of using the opener. They're not afraid of quick hooks for their starters. So it is a little bit different the way the, the way the Rays are set up than the way most teams are. However, uh, they're really having to make a lot of things over on the fly due to injuries to some big-time guys in, in that starting rotation. Drew Rasmussen just hit the injured list with a, a flexor strain in his elbow, which, you know, hopefully not for, for Rasmussen, but is often a precursor um, injury to to a Tommy John situation. Again, you hope that's not the case, but um, that's just just the way things end up kind of going sometimes. So when you when you look at that catcher depth, kind of in the same way now, given the fact that we've got 26 man rosters, that a lot of teams you look at the Baltimore Orioles kind of in the same way. They use Adley Rutschman as a catcher and a DH quite often. Obviously, he's a young player, doesn't have the the litany of injuries that catchers do by the time they get to 30, 35. Um, But Rutschman is a guy that they want to are trying to look out for um, and make sure that they've got at bats for, regardless of what the rest of that roster looks like. So the Orioles are one of the teams carrying three catchers on that roster. The the White Sox now, with um, a couple of different injuries having popped up to players over the last little bit, Aloy Jimenez uh, being the one that actually put Carlos Perez on the roster, you know, they've gone to three catchers as well. And I, I think that kind of construction makes sense. I also wouldn't be, you know, all that surprised. And, and you know, given the way 40-man rosters are, you know, if you take a guy, for those of you who aren't all that familiar with the, the kind of the inner workings of the roster stuff, when you take a guy off your 40-man roster, you do submit him to waivers throughout the rest of the league, right? So if I take a guy, designate him for assignment or outright him or, or what have you, all sorts of different ways that you can remove a guy from a 40-man roster, that guy is then exposed to waivers for every other team in baseball. And I believe... The way it works still, and details of the new CBA are still coming out. I would be surprised if this has changed. But I believe it works from uh, the reverse record in the American League and then the same in the National League if you're releasing an American League guy. So you release a player, 
from the 40-man. You're an American League team. Uh, the worst team in the league gets a chance, second worst, third worst, fourth worst, so forth and so on, all the way down to the best team. Uh, and that process repeats itself in the National League. And if that player clears waivers, if nobody puts a claim on him, uh, then you can return him, depending on his major league rights, to your triple-A team or your double-A team or whatever. It's a, it's a lot of if – you're, if you're a huge baseball roster nerd like I am, then you – you're interested in this kind of thing. I've cut out the I've yada 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 the back end of the 40-man roster conversation because it probably deserves to be yada yada yada. However, it's it's worth talking about when you're you're talking about the catchers here because making that next move, right? If Grandal needs to hit the injured list, and we we don't know that that's the case right now, then you may. Uh, see a situation where the White Sox are looking to add another catcher to the 40 men to you know back them up to have some insurance there because if you lose another one you've got to add another catcher some way somehow no big league ball club none of them absolutely zero of them are going to go into a single big league game with just one active healthy catcher that just you you just don't see that happen um, so there would be you know probably that next domino down the road which would start to, you know, kind of shake the wheels a little bit. I, I think, too, you know, when we, when we look at what's been going on with the White Sox over the last week and a half of baseball, I, I think, you know, last night's results uh, included, they're beginning to play better baseball. The question I think that's fair to still ask is whether or not they can make that brand of better baseball a more consistent brand of baseball for them. They are still bringing in or bringing back, I should say, um, some of their regular players, some of their big-time contributors. Uh, And that bullpen, the White Sox bullpen, could change quite a bit in the next week or so with both Garrett Crochet and Liam Hendricks coming back into the mix. However, I I think it's kind of clear over the last five days, eight days, ten days, fifteen days, that the more important thing for the White Sox when it comes to playing better baseball is offensive production, right? I mean, if you've got big-time arms in the back of the bullpen, like the way Joe Kelly's been throwing, like the way Keenan Middleton's been throwing, like the way Hendricks has thrown in the past and likely will again, and the way Crochet has thrown in the past and likely will again, then you've got guys that can lock down leads. You've got to get those guys leads. And, and sure, that's kind of working around some of the issues in the bullpen. Reynaldo Lopez, it looks like, could use a bit of a reset. I think the stuff, the velo, the, the, it's all still there. You know, getting that reworked a little bit might take a day or two, might take a week or two of some lower leverage opportunities that the White Sox could probably afford to give him should Crochet and Hendricks come back into the mix here over the next week. You could get kind of a you know, a double-plus sort of thing going on there. Not just getting those guys back, but also getting a chance to reset a guy like Reynaldo Lopez to then offer him bigger leverage situations down the line, like he had last year in in such a great 2022 season. Um, But offensively, you know, this is where the White Sox need more runners. (laughs) They need more base runners. You you look at last night's ballgame, and there were six of nine innings Six of the nine where the White Sox were three up and three down against the Astros. There are a lot of ground balls for this team right now. Luis Robert hit the stitches off a baseball for a home run. That was in the second, and that was an absolute – I mean, it was great. It was awesome to see, and Luis Robert has played really well. But just like we said about Michael Kopech's start 
not last night, but the start before against the Cincinnati Reds where he gave up four solo home runs. Solo shots, and that's what Luis Roberts was, don't often beat you. The the three-run homers, those are the ones that help a lot. Multi-run shots, those are the ones that help a lot. And If you can get base runners on via walk, via ground ball, via base hit, via hit by pitch, those home runs matter a lot more than the solo shots that often won't beat you. So um, I I think offensively is where this thing needs to start turning for the White Sox. Um, There are, obviously, that's not to say that there aren't ways that you could, and guys that could pitch better for the Sox. There, There are, obviously, at 13 and 27, better opportunities or better production opportunities for some of those guys. Um, but I'm, I'm looking primarily offensively for this team to get themselves uh, back to playing the kind of baseball they need to play in order to jump back into this thing come middle of summer. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Starting at six tickets per game, Cheer on the White Sox from the comfort of your own private suite. The Sweet Flex Plan allows you to select the games you want to attend. Multiple options available. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash sweetflex. That's whitesox.com slash sweetflex. Or call or text 312-674-1000. Want to talk a little bit about last night's game. We uh, expect to be joined by White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton in a little while. We'll talk to Scott Merkin of MLB.com a bit after that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about last night's game, but also I, I wanted to I wanted to focus in on, on Michael Kopech's outing last night because it was, you know, it was a crazy one. And, and I think as we talked a lot about what the offense needs to look like, you know, in the first half hour of the show, what the offense needs to look like for this team to start making noise again, to start making uh, other AL Central squads a little bit more scared, then the pitching side of thing needs conversation as well. And for Michael Kopech, somebody called during the rain delay theater last night and asked, I think his name was, I think his name was Jake, and if it wasn't, then you are listening, Jake, I apologize, uh, and will absolutely call you by your actual name as soon as I remember it. He asked whether the White Sox or the Red Sox won the Chris Sale trade. And I, you know, I told him, I don't know that we can, A, answer that question yet, and B, I don't know that that's a fair way of setting up whether a trade was good or bad. It is absolutely true that a team can win or lose a trade. But it is also very true that both teams can win a trade. I think that's more rare, but I think it's absolutely possible. Let's take a look at a division rival and use a trade that happened last season to kind of illustrate the point, right? In the middle of the offseason, actually late in the offseason, the Minnesota Twins sent Luis Arias to the Miami Marlins for Pablo Lopez, a right-handed starter. If you're a White Sox fan, and I'm sure you are because you're listening to this, you saw Pablo Lopez absolutely shove against the White Sox in his first start against them as a Minnesota Twin. That was back on April 11th. Lopez went seven and two-thirds, gave up two earned, struck out ten, walked one, right? It had been a really good start to the season for Pablo Lopez. In his first four, he had a 173 ERA in 26 innings of work. There was a hiccup right in the middle 
against the Washington Nationals and Kansas City Royals of all offenses. He allowed 11 runs in a 10-inning stretch. Then popped back with two good ones, one unfortunately against the White Sox where he went another seven innings with two runs and a six-and-a-third outing against the San Diego Padres. That was on that was his last start on May 10th. So what you can absolutely say about the Minnesota Twins pickup of Pablo Lopez, and oh, by the way, they signed him to an extension uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I think it's a four-year, 70-ish million dollar deal, something like that, um, with a couple of options, as, as they usually are. But you flipped Luis Arias for a 27-year-old starter and then signed him to an extension. To further the issue, right, because none of these things happen in a vacuum, the, the Minnesota Twins have been dealing with injuries in their starting staff, right? Sonny, uh, pardon, not Sonny Gray, but Kenta Maeda dealing with some issues. Tyler Molly, who they acquired from the Reds last year, is hurt again. He's made, I think, all of nine starts for the Twins, counting last season and this. So getting Lopez back into that rotation, um, he was the guy that – in, in theory, in the offseason, elevated that starting five to something that's more than just guys. But now, with the injuries, you absolutely need Lopez as a centerpiece in that rotation to make that starting five, you know, a viable thing. And the Twins have, you know, kind of struggled like every other AL Central team. I'm sure you've seen the graphic whereby every single AL East team has a better record than every single AL Central team. Uh, and the Twins obviously reside in the Central alongside the White Sox. Now, Let's look at the flip side of that trade. The Marlins are in a very, in a very different situation than most other ball clubs. And I, you know, I, I don't want to poke fun, but there were a lot of off-season decisions by the Marlins that left some who were fans of infield defense, to say the least, to say nothing else, uh, scratching their heads a bit. Luis Arise is an exceptional hitter, a guy who hit 316 last year on his way to an All-Star nod and a Silver Slugger, but is a man kind of without a position, or at least that had been the book on him. Arise has provided a 386 batting average and a 444 on base percentage. He hit for the cycle uh, about a week and a half ago for the Marlins. It's just been a really good start to the season, a, a truly impressive everything you wanted kind of start from Luis Arise for the Miami Marlins. So all that to say, who won the trade? I think the Marlins got exactly what they were looking for out of Luis Arias. Sure, they're 19 and 20, but when you're adding just one player, I don't know that that's necessarily shifting. When you're you're trading for just one player, I don't know that you're necessarily shifting the balance of of power. You are more redistributing your resources to be the better ball club that you uh, better ball club that you can be. The Minnesota Twins. Same conversation. They're absolutely, I think, a better ball club, though they do have some offensive issues, with Lopez there now and in the next couple of seasons than they would have been uh, with Luis Arise. Both teams, I think, so far, have won that trade. Now it's May 13th and a lot of things could change, and that's kind of the other side of the conversation. All right, so let's go back to Kopech. Because I think the stuff you saw from Michael Kopech last night, four and two-thirds, two earned runs, five strikeouts, one hit, and six walks, was really instructive of what Kopech is working with and dealing with right now. He has, even when it's not on, so to speak, a really good fastball. I mean, just a really good fastball. It's got elite spin rate, and however he does it, 
he looks like he's able to keep that thing off the barrel of the bat. The other pitches, the slider, the curveball, a changeup every now and again, have really been uh, touch and go for Kopech in this season. There have been some nights where that slider looked like the, the nasty thing that he threw against the New York Yankees in a start out there in the Bronx uh, last season. There are nights when the slider looks like, uh, you know, just kind of a get-me-over kind of pitch, not the out pitch um, that you'd like it to be. Last night, the command was obviously an issue, but it was not hard for him to avoid some of that contact coming around to hurt him later on. However, when you're walking six, that almost that, that makes it almost impossible. Six in four and two-thirds, that makes it almost impossible to not allow some of those runs to score. And what's even more damning here in that particular performance, last night's performance, is the leadoff walk in the fourth inning to Kyle Tucker. Tucker steals a base. Kopech is a little slow to the plate. Jose Abreu grounds out to the right side, the proper side of the infield, if you're looking to move a runner, and he did from second to third for Tucker. And then Jeremy Pena, inside out at a fastball. I mean, he had no prayer, no prayer of getting that pitch uh, down for a hit. It just it ate him alive, but he was able to put a good enough swing on it and loft it enough into right field, deep enough to score the run from third. So he took a pitch, Jeremy Pena did, from Michael Kopech, where you're not, you're, you're just not getting a hit. The likelihood of getting a hit on that pitch to the right-hander is just so low. But you can inside out that thing and make a productive out and score a run. And runs are, at the end of the day, how you decide who wins and loses a ball game. So those kind of outs, those kind of productive outs, though they're not choice A, they're a really solid choice B for hitters in situations like that. And when you walk too many, when you walk six like Kopech did last night, then you're putting yourself in a situation where outs can beat you. That's kind of how I like to think of it anyway. It's, yeah, obviously the three-run homer can sabotage you in that inning as, as well as anybody else because you've walked two of those runners, right? You've put those guys on base. But you are more vulnerable, so much more vulnerable to the routine of a baseball game, right? The fly ball to right field, the ground ball to the right side. Those routine things that happen in every baseball game, those can now beat you because you walked too many guys. And I think that's really, you know, kind of been the issue for a lot of pitchers. Unfortunately for the White Sox this year, the walks have been far too many. The the free passes have put a lot of guys with high strikeout totals high strikeout ability think of you know Kelly and Lopez and Middleton and Lucas and Dylan and even Lance those those guys can all be high strikeout guys but when those strikeouts need to happen with runners on base they're harder to get cuz big league hitters know that you're trying to punch them out and that you can take that slider off the outside corner and maybe just flip it into right, knowing that you're never going to get a hit on that particular swing, on that particular pitch. But given the fact that there was a walk and a ground out, and now a runner at third, that out can hurt that starter because it scores a run. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. We're back with more in just a bit. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch, ESPN 1000 Chicago. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Astros coming up in just a little bit here this evening. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Hold on to that number. We'll call and take phone calls in a little bit. We've got White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton joining us here on White Sox Weekly. First chance for us to talk to Keenan here on the show. Got to introduce myself to him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when he joined the ball club, and then he went on striking everybody out with nasty change-ups and sliders. So it's a real joy to get to talk to Keenan this evening, this afternoon. Keenan, thanks for hopping on, man. Appreciate you. Hey, how you doing? Happy I'm, to be here. I'm doing really well. So uh, first question for you is going to be one I'm hoping that you haven't been asked in a while. I went to high school in Wisconsin, spent a lot of time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You went to high school in Milwaukee, Oregon, and I swear to you, Keenan, when I was looking up your baseball reference page, that's the moment I found out that there was a second Milwaukee in this country. Tell me about <laughs> Milwaukee, Oregon. What's it like? Uh, man, it's, it's, it's really weird. Like like the slogan of Portland, keep Portland weird. It's just a bunch of strange people, and we do our own thing up there. That is I lo- so I've been to Portland and I loved it. I loved that everybody was talking about keep Portland weird. There are so many Is it just me or are there too many one-way streets in Portland? Is it too Wait. weird? I get I yeah. got lost like for two hours. Yeah, you sound like you're talking about downtown and I don't go downtown. It's okay. like a zombie land down there now. It's like right. Gotham City. See, that was that was my mistake. I was going down to Portland State University to cover a a football practice. Jerry Glanville was coaching there at the time, and I must have circled the football field a thousand times before I found it. Oh, yeah, that's that's where they used to have uh, the AAA uh, baseball team right there. Did you go watch them when you were a kid? Yeah, we used to have field trips there all the time. It was pretty fun. Did you – so you played a lot of hoops and a lot of baseball growing up and kind of had a chance to, you know, start a professional road on either side – did you, you know, start thinking when you were a kid, hey, you know, this this AAA thing looks like a lot of fun. I like downtown Portland enough, even though the one-way streets, I could probably get an apartment close by. Like, when was it baseball for you? Uh, no, nah, it was definitely once I went to uh, went to college. I, I even told all my coaches uh, in high school, my baseball coaches, I didn't have any plans of playing baseball after high school. And that changed, and for the best. What was the – give the scouting report – on the 20-year-old Keenan Middleton Hooper? Well, I was a shooter uh, mainly, but then like as I got into college, I wasn't so one-dimensional. I got a little bit more bouncy, and I became an all-around player and honestly became one of our better defenders too. So, I mean, I think I feel like right as I stopped playing basketball, I was getting to the best level I'd ever, I'd ever been. I was talking to um, talk with Keenan Middleton, White Sox reliever here on White Sox Weekly. I was having a conversation years ago with uh, White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper, and I was, you know, a young baseball reporter, just kind of, you know, figuring everything out. And we were talking about athleticism, just kind of in general, um, about pitchers in, in repeating delivery and all that kind of stuff. And he could not have been more, you know, just stressing the point that while pitching doesn't necessarily look like you need to be athletic to do it. Give him the athlete, the guy who's come up and played a lot of different sports every single time because that guy's delivery is going to be a, a more repeatable delivery. And when it does get out of whack, that athleticism enables a pitcher to get back to or, or even alter what needs to be gotten back to or altered. Do you find that you know that basketball background or that, that multi-sport kind of background helps in that regard? 
Uh, yeah, I grew up, I mean, since I can remember, I played three sports all the way through high school, until I got to high school. And so, yeah, you know, it's just uh, that athleticism, just taking everything that I learned from every sport out into the next sport and trying to just gain as much ground as I can with my athleticism. I feel like when I got drafted, everybody dreamed about doing this stuff their whole life. And when I got thrown into the minor leagues, that's when I first really thought about it being my my job and so I had a lot of catching up to do and uh, there was a lot to figure out but if, if I didn't have the athleticism uh, I don't know where I'd be right now. What was the big eye-opening moment for you once you you know like you said got drafted and this turned into a job? Uh, my first my first at bat was a home run in the minor leagues and I was like well this is crazy. Yeah well, that'll do it. I don't know what I got myself into right now. <laughs> do you remember who got you? Uh, I do not know, but I, I do remember it was a curveball, and I don't throw a curveball anymore. For <laughs> is, is that why? <laughs> Probably has something to do with it. I was looking through the the pitch mix for you, though. It's been you you've kind of evolved and changed here over a little bit. I'm sure the, you know the injury has has something to do with that. Why? How has Keenan Middleton kind of changed in terms of the way you attack hitters, and and why? Um, I think. Uh, Coming into the league, when I came in, up in 17, I was a two-pitch pitcher. I was fastball slider only. And uh, right before I had TJ, uh, I started throwing this changeup. Just didn't have a lot of confidence in it. And then coming back after Tommy John, I was just trying to regain that status of that guy with the fastball slider and just tinkering around with the changeup. And then last year, I threw the changeup a little bit more and had some success. Um, and coming into this year, me and Ethan Katz had a talk coming into spring training and he was like that's a pitch that you can throw in any count and I truly believe that and that's what I've done this year and um, so a lot of my to my cat to Ethan and Kurt Hassler and the staff here for actually encouraging me to throw that pitch I didn't believe in it and they did and it's honestly turned my my year around that's, Can't that's my career yet. that's really interesting that you you mentioned the change up that specifically because I the first couple of times you worked, I think it was against the Pirates. It was really my, my first chance to get to watch you pitch. Uh, that uh, changeup. Yeah. Say it again? Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota, yeah, apologies. Um, I, I remember watching some of those games against – and they, you're throwing that changeup. You're attacking guys up in the zone with that changeup. And it, it really looked a lot to me like – not the changeup necessarily, but in the the the, the situations and the counts and, and kind of the pitch sequencing, how Lucas attacks guys up with changeups when he wants to. Is there a conversation between the two of you, or or um, anything similar in in kind of that um, that philosophy? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I talk with our our relievers a lot more than I would talk with our starters, and I don't know. Just talking about mixing pitches and. Honestly, just attacking the hitters, like you said, I, I honestly am not a guy who's trying to be too fine uh, unless I'm really trying to spot a fastball somewhere. For the most part, I'm just trying to throw my off-speed in the zone, and I feel like they're both swinging missed pitches, so I mean, I could just live with the results after that. As long as I'm attacking these hitters and I'm keeping the pressure on them by throwing strikes, I think that I'm in a good spot. Talking with White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton here on White Sox Weekly for another minute or two. I, I was reading back to some interviews you'd given uh, prior in your career, and you mentioned that Kendall Graveman, uh, a former teammate of yours in Seattle, was um, was a really big, you know, kind of professional guide for you. I, I don't want to say mentor if, if you didn't mean it that way, but it kind of no, yeah, felt really like is. that. No, right. He, he really is a mentor. Graveman's a guy that when I was with the Angels, he was with the, the A's, so playing against him. 
and he's always plunking Trotty, trying to miss. He's just trying to go up and in, and he's missing them. And I'm like, God, I hate this guy. And you get on the same team in Seattle, and you realize that he's one of the greatest human beings to walk on earth. And like you said, he's a great mentor. He's a he's a guy that like even last night I was having I was in a bad bad mood, and he's a guy who can just reel me in and get me back on track. And so I I, I yeah, he's a great mentor. That is that's really cool to be able to connect with a teammate like that from you know from the other side, and then get to play with him and kind of come to come to terms about what it is that that makes you guys kind of cool. Yeah, right. And um, like we both got we both got little girls. We're both girl dads, so we have a lot more in common than we actually thought. And then we got on the same team, and uh, we've been great friends since. All right, so Keenan, I am I'm just beginning my journey as a girl dad. She's she's five months old. Okay. I, I think I actually I asked Jake about this. He's he's got a a, a boy, obviously, but I, I think I asked Kendall about it a while ago. What's what's the biggest piece of advice? What what should I know? I, let me get the pen and paper out. You, Keenan, guide me, my friend. I mean, I just they're my best friends. I I look I look forward to to everything that I get with them. Um, whether that's time here at the field, whether that's time at home, um, they're everything to me. When like when I am so frustrated with this game and everything going on, uh, it's it's easy to just take a step back once you see their faces and everything. You forget about everything else, and uh, I don't know. They're my glue. They hold my life together. That is that's awesome, a, and it really is. I think one of the things that you know, as we approach Mother's Day here tomorrow and and, and Father's Day later on in the season, I think those of us with kids or and newly on in that journey kind of get to a point where you go, boy, today's been terrible, and then you get home and you see them and you kind of forget about all that stuff. I didn't realize how, I didn't realize how material that was, how how like truly honest that actually works. Yeah, I mean it's great. Like last night it was a late game. Uh, I had a frustrating outing, got the ball drilled off my leg. I get home and I see my six-month-old sleeping and I forget about everything. I just pick her up, hold her, and my night was so much better just right there in that moment. Well, see, yours, if she's sleeping, that's good. Mine was kind of screaming and yelling a little bit, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. How How is the leg? Are you good? Oh, yeah, I'm great. It was, it was a character builder. <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting it, uh, Keenan. As as we let you go here, I I did want to ask you too, and and we kind of started talking about family. You coach too. You you are a a basketball coach. Um, what is that? Why? You know what's the what's the drive behind that? You you could very easily kind of hang them up in the off season. Yeah, um, I don't know. My first, my very first off season after I got drafted, um, I was around. Honestly, I just loved the game of basketball. You know, just going to the high school for open gyms, and the coaches saw me interacting with players during these open gyms and coaching them up a little bit. And so I got asked to be an assistant. Then I was the JV head coach for three seasons, and then I got put on the forty man. So my my time into that was a little bit less you know coming out to spring training a little bit earlier and so i've just been an assistant i think for the last five six years and i love it man honestly it's a place where i can bring my family they always welcome me to bring my family and i'm pretty much at the high school all day long um working with kids whether it's for baseball or basketball um and i and i love it it honestly makes my off seasons fly by so it's very enjoyable 
that's awesome, man. That's really, really cool. Hey, appreciate you carving out some time for us this afternoon. Uh, good luck today. Go get them. And uh, hope the leg, hope the character has been raised just a little bit given the uh, the comebacker last night. Only fuels my fire. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate <laughs> you got it. Got it. White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton. The fire is fueled for that man. That's a good conversation. Uh, awesome to check in with Keenan. We appreciate his time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll have to talk to Scott Merkin in a little while, White Sox beat reporter for MLB.com, coming up at 5 o'clock. On the other side of a break, we put together a career retrospective, kind of a thank you, best way we knew how, to Jose Abreu as he made his return to 35th in Shields last night. You will hear that in case you missed it when we come back on White Sox Weekly. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny, 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We just had Keenan Middleton, White Sox reliever on, talked about a lot of different stuff. He's a fun dude to talk with. Not There, there just aren't a lot of guys that I've met in baseball that you know have the connection to uh to basketball the way he does to other to, to another sport. So that was that was a really cool conversation. I have also that's the first time that I've heard a comebacker off a pitcher called a character builder and I love that. I think that's super cool, very tough guy, very uh, all right, get back out there, get him the next day, I'm angry kind of stuff. So that was a, a good conversation with Keenan Middleton. Really appreciate his time coming on the show this afternoon. We last night saw something pretty impressive, I I, I thought. Um, And mostly that was the number of White Sox fans through a two-hour and ten-minute rain delay that hung around and waited to see Jose Abreu back at 35th and Shields. And all they wanted to do was say thank you. I think that speaks to, A, White Sox fans, right? I think that speaks to exactly what you know that guy did for the ball club for nine seasons. Goodbyes are bittersweet. They always are. Um, There's another chapter in in everybody's life, you know, more or less, and especially in baseball. The thing is a business, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't go the way you want it, even if you you run the business. You know, it, it sucks that way. But last night, you got two moments on the field where White Sox fans were able to, and Jose Abreu was able to say thank you the way that you do. During the pregame on the center field scoreboard video, scoreboard uh, video screen, they played a tribute video to Jose Abreu. It was about a two-minute thing. Abreu, in, in classic Jose fashion, real quickly jumped out of the Astros dugout gave a fist pump into the air, a lot like John Bender does at the end of The Breakfast Club, and then ran back into the dugout. Abreu is, if nothing else, reticent to be in the spotlight. Just that's not his place. That's not where he wants to be. He'd rather be working. But even a guy like Abreu understands that a moment like that is one you take advantage of, not necessarily for yourself, but for everybody else who watched you play and came out to see you for nine straight seasons. The other time that the White Sox fans and and Abreu got to kind of share their emotions back and forth was when he came to the plate for the first time. We were just coming back from break, and Sox fans were already on their feet and launched into applause for Jose Abreu. He lined out to Elvis Andrews at second base, an absolute rocket, but straight into the glove of the White Sox second baseman, Elvis Andrews. Abreu's gotten off to a slow start to the season for the Astros, and they certainly hope he'll be 
turning things around. He was dropped in the lineup last night from four to five. He was one for four, pardon, one for five, had a single in the right field. Where else would Jose Abreu hit the ball? Single in the right field, that's classic Jose Abreu. So for our part, the best way we could, we wanted to put together a, a retrospective in the pregame show yesterday. We played this yesterday um, and thought we'd probably give it another go here on White Sox Weekly since you know last night's a Friday night, and if you were really interested in coming out and saying thank you to Jose Abreu, you probably bought a ticket to the game and were in there. So for those of you who missed it, whether you were walking around on the concourse, White Sox fans who um, were elseways tuned into the game last night, here it is, just a little bit of our thank you and remembrance of Jose Abreu's nine years on the South Side. Tonight, we welcome an all-time franchise great back to the South Side, a fan favorite, a teammate's favorite. In October of 2013, Jose Abreu and the White Sox made it official. When Jose became available towards the end of the summer, it became clear that he was a very high-priority target for us. Abreu would not only carry on a White Sox tradition of exemplary play at first base, he would also become the latest to carry the torch lit by Minnie Minoso as a Cuban-born White Sox player. Immediately, Abreu made an impact. That is high in the left field. Stretch! Stretch! Get on back there! Get on back there! It's out. It will. It is a three-run homer. You can put it on the board. Yes! Yes! His first homer. First of many. Later that month, his first month on the job, Abreu walked off the Tampa Bay Rays in grand fashion. That ball hit hard. Gilbert's head way back. He looks up. You can put it on the board. Yes! 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 A grand slam by Jose Abreu. And the Sox win it 9-6. Jose Abreu became just the second rookie to ever win a game with a grand slam. That, plus leading Major League Baseball in slugging percentage while hitting 317, was more than enough to win him Rookie of the Year. Well, for the ninth time in the history of the voting for this award, we have a unanimous winner. So Jackie Robinson, Rookie of the Year in the American League. Jose Abreu of the White Sox. From 2015 to 2019, Abreu would garner MVP votes in three separate seasons two all-star nods, and three silver sluggers. He led the American League in total bases in 2017, and in 2019, led the American League in runs batted in. All of that was mere setup for Abreu's greatest individual achievement, the 2020 season. While we all had to stay home and longed to be at the ballpark, Jose Abreu put on as good a show that summer as you could possibly imagine. One night in August, just a few miles north of home, Abreu showed the Cubs had a hit for power. 0-2. Jose in the air left field. One more time, bring him home. Well, we told you back in the sixth inning that Jose sometimes takes it into his own hands. We didn't believe at that point that three home runs later, he'd have a perfect night, four for four with a walk and three bombs. When the White Sox made the playoffs and faced the Oakland Athletics in the wild card, Abreu put his power display on the national stage. That ball is hit in the air to the deep left field. Backing up on that one now is Grossman. He'll turn and watch it. It's gone. Jose Abreu reaches the seats. Second home run of the game for the White Sox, and this one puts him up 3-0. Jose Abreu led the American League in hits, 
slugging percentage, and games played in 2020. He led all of baseball in total bases and runs batted in. He had 60 that season, the same number of runs batted in as games played in that pandemic-shortened season. Your 2020 MVP of the American League this year is Jose Abreu. Abreu, for years, was defined by toughness. Knock him down, he'd be right back up. There was almost no hurting the man. Just two days after a collision on the base paths nearly took him out, there was Abreu running with every fiber of his being to score the winning run for his team at home. Greenfield back. Mercedes takes off for second. The pitch gets away. Here comes Abreu. He will score. White Sox win. They win it. In one of the greatest regular season games, the first ever Field of Dreams game in Dyersville, Iowa, there was Abreu creating more than just a memory. Heaney on an 0-2. Drilled in the air, deep left. And it is in the corn. Jose with a home run. All that work, all that toughness, all those days. On an August night against the Yankees, Abreu passed Hall of Famer Harold Baines on the White Sox all-time home run list. Like usual, it was an individual achievement that meant more to the team than himself. Ready for another 3-2, the pitch, swing and a high drive! We are tied! Jose Abreu with a home run to left center! All things must come to an end, but like he did for nine seasons here at 35th and Shields, Jose Abreu plays on. Welcome back, Jose, and thanks for everything. That was our thank you to Jose Abreu. It aired in the pregame show last night, and we hope you liked it. We'll tell you what's coming up here on White Sox Weekly in just 10 seconds. We pause here for station identification. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. We will talk with White Sox scribe Scott Merkin when we come back. He covers the Sox for MLB.com. That's coming up on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Workers are present or not. And remember, in real life, you can't just hit the reset button. It's not a game. Visit itsnotagameillinois.com to learn more. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM FM HD and app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Catch the biggest matchups at the best value for the 2023 season. Enjoy flexible payment plans, a ticket exchange program, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash ticket plans or call 312-674-1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got the pregame show coming up in 36 minutes. White Sox and Astros at 6.15 tonight. Scott Merkin of MLB.com is a good friend of the program and Merck, we appreciate you hopping on this uh, I don't know, it's 5 o'clock evening or afternoon for you, man. I always kind of get stuck at this time wishing whether I I knew whether to wish somebody good evening or good afternoon. Yeah, it pretty much all runs together after getting home around one thirty, following the two-hour rain delay last night. So just uh, weekend is good, I think, yeah, overall. Yeah, all right. A good weekend to you. Hey, you know, <laughs> Merck, I, I want to start with this, my man. Um, you guys in the press box last night had a very cool night um, saying thanks to Mark Gonzalez, who's covered both the White Sox and Cubs um, for the last, I believe, it's it's 32 years for Gonzo. Um, you guys said congratulations. The Baseball Writers Association of America, 
of which Gonzo's a member, said congratulations in a tweet earlier this afternoon. You tweeted, uh, and I hate to read it back to you, but uh, not everyone's reading Twitter while we're talking, so here it is. You <laughs> tweeted that only one sports writer in the history of the planet has covered both a White Sox World Series championship and a Chicago Cubs championship, and that man is Mark Gonzalez. He's moving on to a cool career opportunity out in Arizona. Um, Gonzo's an absolute favorite of mine, and I know he means a ton to you guys in the writer's room as well. Yeah, great guy. And, and I should stress, uh, you know, I think I put that a primary beat writer for both teams because, you know, a guy like uh, Correct. Sully. Correct. Actually, I, I did coverage on both those two, but, I mean, in terms of going through the daily rigors of primary beat writer, there's one person in the history of Chicago media or BBWA or baseball coverage that has done that, and that is Mark Gonzalez. Great guy, great friend. I mean, just because he's moving, you know, he's moving on to another endeavor. It's not like he's leaving the planet forever. He's going to be here. He's going to be around. We'll see him. We'll see him in spring training. I'm sure he'll be back in Chicago, but nothing but great memories of my friendship and working with him. And I mean, we had a, a, we have a great crew now covering the team, but it was a, a crazy crew way back when with myself and Mark Gonzalez and Joe Colley and Doug Padilla. Scott Greger is still here. He's the the dean. He's got me by about nine years, I think, in terms of covering the team. What what a great ride in 05 and, you know, really 06, 07, 08, all those, all those seasons were tremendous. And then he moved over to the Cubs and saw the same thing. He's seen a lot of really good baseball. He's seen a lot of really bad baseball over the years, but always stayed the same person. He's been in Chicago since 05, I want to say. And then, I, you know, it was all, I think, Arizona and San Francisco. So he's done it all. I always kid him and he tells me to just be quiet, but I think he's going to, you know, he'll someday get that Lifetime Achievement Award for from the BBWA, and he definitely deserves it. A, a, a tremendous person and a tremendous reporter. If there's uh, if there's anything I can sign to endorse that from outside the BBWA, <laughs> please let me know because I will absolutely do that for Gonzo. I just a, a quick story for those for those of you who listen to White Sox Weekly quite a bit or have heard me on the air over the years, Merck. I've told you this story. Um, I got to meet Ken Griffey Jr. when he came back as a Mariner to Guaranteed Rate Field, and most of that was because that list of beat writers that you mentioned with the White Sox, those were most of the guys when I started covering this team in 2009. Um, Gonzo was the guy that just said, listen, I'm going to go talk to Griffey. You want to meet him? (laughs) Uh, Do I want to meet Jr.? Yeah, I think I do. So I I went over there. I I ignored the rest of my responsibilities for the other station I was working for at the time, and I followed Gonzo into the visitors' locker room and hung out by Craig Griffey Jr.'s locker for the better part of twenty five minutes, which is an all time career highlight for me. It's I mean that's that's what he did. Two quick things on that. You know, I I covered Griffey Jr. from the trade deadline till the end of the season in '08. Of course, made one of the more iconic throws in White Sox history in the blackout game. What a tremendous guy. It's funny, though, he didn't really love talking about baseball. Probably at that point, he had talked about baseball his entire adult life, right? So he, you could talk to him about his son playing football, about uh, the Cowboys, about, you know, uh, racing and that kind of thing. Loved it, but just wasn't, wasn't great on talking about baseball. And to give you an idea, just a, a quick one about our, the group we had. We once got written up, I won't tell you uh, which press box it was a visiting one for being too loud and boisterous. I've never seen that happen in the 21 years I've covered the team, but we achieved that in, in a press box for being too loud and boisterous. And needless to say, that didn't quiet us down. It probably had the reverse effect when we were told by the media relations person who didn't really want to tell us, but he kind of laughed and he goes, I'll share it with you guys anyways. I know how this is going to turn out. So yeah. we had, we had fun. I've fun with this group. I've been very lucky, the people I've worked with, because you're with them more than with your family pretty much, you know? And- 
Imagine looking at Doug Padilla and Joe Cowley and saying you're too loud and expecting either of them to stop talking. What a, what a Great preposterous guys, idea. And, and trust oh, me, I love I them both. Be- I was the brunt of some uh, some humor at times in them both, but both uh, just tremendous people. So this this ball club has had some troubles here, Scott. It has been a, a, a tough go here, no doubt about it. We actually we just got off the phone with Keenan Middleton a little while sure. ago. That's a, a worthwhile addition on on all fronts to the White Sox yes. bullpen. But yes. you know, as as we start, let's let's begin with the pitching. Are there are there are there big issues that you'd like to see this team nail down on the pitching side sooner rather than later? What stands out to you? With what's absolutely got to change first? Well, I think there's injuries, and then there's by you know their own admission some underperformance. You know, I mean, Lance is better than what he's shown. Uh, Dylan Cease has been had a rough run in I guess what the last four or five starts maybe. And, you know, Kopech had good stuff last night, but couldn't get it consistently over the plate. So it's a little bit of all that stuff. Clevenger's been pretty decent, and Lucas has been tremendous, especially like the last, I think pretty much aside from the Pittsburgh star, right? Lucas has been tremendous this year. And I think the bullpen, whenever you have two key guys out, now granted, they knew both guys were going to be out. I mean, they knew both guys from December were going to be out when Liam, you know, found out about the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis and Garrett Crochet was, you know, they knew it was not going to be ready at the start of the season. But when you take two key pieces out of that and you move guys around, well, it's, it's going to, even with Gregory Santos having a really good start season, even with Keenan Middleton being outstanding since he got here, Joe Kelly, I think has retired 14 straight batters. Kendall Graveman has been great. Lopez has had some good moments too, but I think when you have things set up where you know, Liam is the ninth, you know, Crochet is the eighth or the seventh and you can move guys around. It makes the bullpen better. Now, the only issue is, and we've talked about this with players, and we've talked about this among ourselves, i talked about this with fans, is that, you know, when these guys all come back, you don't want to be 21 games under 500 at that point. Because regardless of this division being bad, and it is, you know, every team in the AL Central lost last night. Now the Twins, I think, if not have won, are about to win today against the Cubs. But you're not going to win the division 10 games under. You're not going to win, as someone pointed out to me, no team under 500 has won the division, I think, at 94. Or maybe the strike season, whoever was winning the AL West was under 500 at that point. But, you know, you, you got to get to at least 82 wins to have a shot at winning a division. So if you start getting your, I mean, 14 is enough. 14 is a month, pretty much, right, of really good baseball to get yourself back in it. 14 under is what they're at right now. You start getting 20, 21, and you're pretty much, even with the division, not having a Rays or an Orioles or a Braves at the top of it right now, you're really up against it at that point. So it's going to be great that they get these guys healthy. Yohan Moncada is back in terms of the position player side. Berger's back, although Grandal dealing with a little bit of a hamstring, and Andrus sounds like he's going to be out a little bit with the left oblique. But, again, it may not it not may not may matter, but it's going to be quite a hill to climb when you get healthy, when you get guys back, if you're that far below 500. Yeah, so the, the Twins, as you mentioned, they're up 11-1 on the Cubs. Yeah, bottom they're probably going to hang on. Yeah, I, I think they'll probably turn that into a W. They've got a chance to add a few more, second and third with two away in that ball game for the Twins. Um, and then you mentioned, I, I guess we, we probably should update. I'm, I'm sure you've spoken with guys in the clubhouse and perhaps even Pedro at this point. What What is the prognosis on Elvis Andrews? He's on the IL, of course. And then, you know, he, Pedro was pretty adamant yesterday about the uh, wait-and-see approach for Grandal, given right. that it's a hamstring and, and not wanting to pull the trigger on an IL stent too early on, on what is obviously your, your your starting catcher. Yeah, you know, obliques are odd injuries. Not that I've ever had one. I've had an, I think I have an oblique muscle, but I've never you strained do. it yeah, before. Yeah, pretty sure you do. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, but, uh, you know, look at Jake. Jake had it, and he was back. He's going to be back in the normal time of the injured list. And Pedro's a little less certain on Elvis. But, again, I, I understand where he's coming from. This just happened last night. He's on the IL. There's no waiting process. So, clearly, it's bothering him. You know, they're, they're ready to go with someone else in there. And it was Romy Gonzalez coming up today. So, there's no timetable set aside from that he's on the injured list. So, we'll see what happens. But and then – Yasmani was in the starting lineup today, got scratched, and it sounds like Pedro's leaning towards not playing him tomorrow, at least at this point, because they have their one off day or their second off day in May coming up on Monday. So that'll give him what four days, four days and change off, right? Four days and part of the game on Thursday off, and then ready for Tuesday. And I would guess if he's not ready for Tuesday, they'll revisit it then and see what's going on. So you know, he was originally there tonight, I believe, it was the DH. And that was replaced by Carlos Perez. So we'll see what moving forward if Tuesday is the day that he's ready to go. What what seems to be the upcoming plan for second base? Yeah, Pedro talked about that. It sounds like it's going to be you know Hanser Alberto. Now I, it, you know he didn't make it like okay he's getting all the at bats there. You know Romy's here right now. Uh, Jake Berger's coming back, but Jake obviously is, you know that that was tried in the minors, but I don't think they're going to have him learn second on the fly in the big leagues. Although. He really enjoys, he's told me he really enjoys playing second base. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's going to belong to Hanser Alberto for a little bit until Elvis is ready. You know, Lenin Sosa was just sent down. He could have come up for an injury. Uh, he's with AAA Charlotte right now. And, you know, Alberto has hit the ball pretty decently in his limited role. But again, this is, again, I'm talking about, you know, having guys and their specific responsibilities where he was not signed to be an everyday player, right? He was signed to be kind of the, you know, guy who plays all around the field and, you know, maybe starts four or five games a week. So we'll see what happens. But according to Pedro today, he's, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said that, you know, Hanser will get those at-bats at second base for now. You've mentioned, too, that the expectation is Jake Berger just needs until Tuesday to get back to the big league level. A couple of miles. No, I think, I think he could be he's, – he's eligible to come off tomorrow. So I think he could – he's with the team right now. He, oh. he returned today. So I think he I, – I, I think I was like Yasmani I was talking that he may he may be off until Tuesday, and then they'll judge them. But I think Berger could be activated tomorrow. He is with he was in the clubhouse. They spoke to him before the game today. Oh well, there you go. That see, that's why you yeah. have a White Sox beat writer on uh, as soon as you can on White Sox <laughs> Weekly. So, so I guess the idea there is, you know, Berger sheets are kind of your lefty righty DH mix, and right. You'll see Gavin, I would imagine, in right field, and and Adam Hazley out there quite a bit. Seems to be getting some run. That's kind of the upcoming week or so, next two weeks. Right. And then, you know, Aloy is coming back from the appendectomy and there, you know, he's, I think, feeling better, but at the very basic stages of the recovery, he's not really doing anything but moving around right now. So, you know, they've had this issue before. I think it was, it was what, Adam Dunn's first year, right? Yeah. Where he yeah. had an appendectomy and somehow, some way he came back in six days. And I think homered in that first game that he came back. But I know in talking to Sox people, they regret not giving him, in hindsight, giving him more time off then. So that's just an example to fast forward 12 years later where, yeah, I think they said four to six weeks on Aloy, right? And it may be a little shorter, but I don't know if it's going to be a lot shorter because they want to make sure that he's 100% healed when they put him out there. Yeah, I, I think, too, when you you, know, you start talking about core muscle issues, there, I mean, like like you talked about with Dunn, there can be a cascading effect, right? Like one, one thing may begin to affect another, and that's why – you know, for Sox fans who are like, boy, four to six weeks. That I, I think that's why there's the 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 drive to make sure there's enough time, as much time as possible, right? Yeah, I, I look at it, and this may be a weird analogy. I look at it as like when you fly from Chicago to Kansas City, 
and they say, oh, it's an hour and 25 minute flight. And they get there in 58 minutes and they say, hey, we, we arrived early, you know, whereas the flight was really about an hour or five the whole time, you know, so they arrived a little early. So I think four to six weeks is the far end. Six weeks is probably the far end. So I think, you know, maybe a month is close to do. But again, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know. I'm not dealing with the I haven't dealt with this kind of injury, not injury, but medical issue before. I just know that they're not going to rush him back. You know, when he is healthy, when he's checked off all the boxes, when he can do everything fully healthy, they're going to they're going to have Illinois back in the lineup. So Dylan Cease starts tonight. He was magnificent in his first start of the year against the Astros. Yes. I mean, truly special. On national TV, right? I mean, yeah. just a, a brilliant performance. I mean, a brilliant performance following up all the brilliant performances he had in 2022, right? What what seems when you talk to Dylan as you've talked around everybody in this clubhouse? What what seems to be the issue here? His his post game press conference after the last start that went sideways on him. Um, you know, he, he really began to talk a little bit more specifically about what he's trying to work on. I, I wonder what, what kind of context you can offer here. Yeah, you know, I think a couple of things. I think just talking to people around the team, his slider, which I don't think I'm stretching by saying if you look at StatCast, was probably the most dominant pitch in baseball last year, has been a little off target, I think. He's, he's talked about he spiked a few of them too many times. And if you look at uh, going back to StatCast, I think he has the biggest jump of hard hit contact between last year and this year. So again, I I think it's just, he had a little bit of the stretch like this at the beginning last year, and then did what, like 14 straight starts where he had a lot of one hundred run or less. So I I think Dylan is always just that one start away from going on a start that puts him from struggling a little bit to being in Cy Young contention, you know? So I, I, I wouldn't worry that much about him, but I think it's all part of, as we talked about earlier, this interview, the bigger picture, you know, that's, you know, you you can if the team is five hundred or something like that, you say, okay, he's gonna he's gonna turn around, he's gonna make it. But I think with you don't want to be you know, Kopech, Michael Kopech talked about this last night about he felt like he was pressing that he was trying to make every pitch too perfect last night. And I think you you tend to do that when you're a team with serious playoff aspirations coming into the season, and you're now thirteen and seven and one game out of last, and I think five games out of third place, right? So. Even 40 games in of a 162-game season, you start to feel it a little bit. So I think that's the whole thing is, you know, people want Dylan to be good yesterday, back to dominant yesterday. And I think he'll get there. I think it's just a matter of time for Dylan. He's too talented to have this carry on for too much longer. How was seeing Jose Abreu last night? It's great. You know, I mean, I I really enjoyed covering Jose. Uh, He's just a, a great guy, just a quality dude. It was interesting to see him joke around with the other players in the field at one point. Actually, at one point. The first play of the game might have been like the first three pitches. Tim hit a hard. Tim Anderson hit a hard hit grounder to Jose, and he made a nice short hop pick and stepped on, beat him to the bag, step on first, and Anderson runs through the bag and then the way back kind of gives Jose like a little punch, and not you know like a, a playful punch at the side, and then runs to the dugout. And you know Jose's just a, a quality guy. He was a, a seminal part of this franchise for almost a decade. I mean, look at him. He's all he played nine years, and he's third all time in this team in home runs. Now he's a decent piece behind the two top guys who are Hall of Famer Frank Thomas and Paul Canerco. But I totally expect at some point number 79 will be retired and not just because I don't know any other player who's going to wear number 79, but <laughs> just because he meant, meant so much to the organization. And I will say it was a great tribute to him. He seemed to enjoy it. He seemed, you know, he got a standing ovation, classy move by Sebi Zavala, Michael Kopech to let him take it in for a little bit and then get back in the batter's box. But I think both sides, and this is not being crass or anything or unfeeling, but I think both sides are over it. He's not part of the Houston Astros, and they want to 
they don't want him to get a hit the next two days, right? They want to beat them and, and keep him off the bases for two straight games. He'll always have a special place, for, you know, in White Sox organization. I'm sure he'll be welcome back after he's done playing. But right now they want to beat him, and they enjoyed celebrating him last night. Now it's on to, on to baseball. That's how the business works, my friend. Appreciate exactly you, as it, always. Connor. Thanks so much for talking, and uh, enjoy the ball game tonight. Okay, thanks, Connor. Take care. You got it. Scott Merkin, MLB.com, frequent guest here on White Sox Weekly. And uh, we really appreciate his time and context. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. We're back with more White Sox Weekly in just a minute here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago White Sox fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Sox debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Sox checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account with qualifying activities. Start showing your Sox pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com slash Sox. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. White Sox fans swing for the fences this season with a brand new Mazda for Mazda of Orland Park. Proudly sponsoring the Chicago White Sox and Chicago White Sox charities for more than a decade, Mazda of Orland Park offers everything from the brand new 2024 Mazda CX-90 to all your favorite 2023 models, along with exceptional service each and every time. To learn more about our available inventory, give us a call at 708-444-3200 or visit us at ZoomZoomNation.com. Before cell phones, before GPS and nav systems, an atlas was what you used to map out your journey. Today, atlas is your route to finding people. We're talking about Atlas Employment Services. Atlas is a boutique staffing agency specializing in food and beverage, e-commerce, manufacturing, and industrial. They help you find the crew to keep your lines moving. They can help you find short-term or temp-to-permanent hires. Atlas Employment Services. Go to atlasemployment.com. If you've been involved in an accident, yeah, you're going to have questions, you're going to have bills, and you're going to have medical issues, but you will also have me. I'm attorney Tony Ivoni. Visit me at calltony.com or call 708-400-0000. You don't have to struggle alone against the insurance company. I'm here to fight for you. Visit calltony.com or call me at 708-4MILLION because you deserve better. Money saved through energy efficiency can directly benefit a business's bottom line. That's why businesses throughout Northern Illinois are partnering with the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program to find up to 35% in energy savings, resulting in lower energy costs for their facilities. Because at ComEd, we're powering your business's future. Learn more at comed.com slash poweringbiz. ComEd, powering lives. Savings figure is hypothetical only. Actual savings will vary based on the measures implemented and on customers' usage and rate. Long week? It's time for a smooth Tito's handmade vodka cocktail. Staying in or going out, serving cocktails for two, or mixing drinks for the squad, barbecuing in the backyard, or snagging your favorite bar stool. No matter the occasion, just add Tito's to kick off the weekend just right. Tito's handmade vodka is distilled from corn and it's naturally gluten free. Find recipes and more at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof. Distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. Crafted to be savored responsibly. When it comes to authentic tortilla chips, El Ranchero is number one in Chicagoland. Choose from our salted, unsalted, spiced, restaurant-style, and chipotle flavors. And enjoy them with your favorite salsas and meals. El Ranchero is the perfect dip chip. 
And don't forget to try El Ranchero's flat tostadas in the thicker and crunchier Tostadas Rancheras. El Ranchero uses only natural ingredients for the most authentic Mexican taste. Get El Ranchero at your nearest store or visit rancherofood.com. Calling all baseball fans. Are you ready to hit a home run with your wallet? Sell your old vehicle for cash today with Pick Your Part. They're the cleanup hitters of the auto industry, willing to pay you top dollar for your old car, truck, or SUV. Whether you're facing a curveball or a fastball, their team is ready to swing for the fences and make you an offer you can't refuse. Their all-star lineup of representatives will even pick it up for you. So don't sit on the bench and let your vehicle collect dust. Step up to the plate and call 800-962-CARS for a free quote today. Pick Your Part makes selling your vehicle as easy as a base hit. Dial 800-962-CARS. That's right, 800-962-2277. And let them be your MVP. Today. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans catch the action from a private diamond suite this season. Host your closest friends and family with customizable food and beverage options. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash suites or call or text 312-674-1000. White Sox closer Liam Hendricks, as you know, is in AAA Charlotte, working back from a non-Hodgkin lymphoma diagnosis during the offseason. He is in remission. He got to ring the bell, being done with chemo, the whole thing. It's, it's, I mean, it's truly been incredible. The fact that he's even anywhere close to coming back at this point is remarkable. In his last minor league rehab outing, he threw two-thirds of an inning and gave up four earned runs on two home runs, struck out one. The The rest of the outings have been very good. That is all to say the results for Liam, you know, the actual on-field baseball numbers, the ones I just read for you, matter very little. And what's more important is how he feels, what the velocity looks like, how he feels getting to that velocity, which are two different things, a bit nuanced, but but definitely meaningful here. Uh, the 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 sound is the idea is it seems like that they were back to back outings for Liam earlier this week. He'll pitch again Sunday. Triple A does not play on Mondays anymore. They've kind of got a different schedule down there in the minors, but they don't play on Mondays, so they'll use that off day to kind of evaluate things and see where everybody's at. Regardless of whether Liam is going to rejoin the ball club against the Guardians on Tuesday. I mean, that'd be the earliest he could. Um, or a little bit later in the week, or a little bit later in the season, for that matter. Um, he's been making headlines. For more than just that he's coming back from cancer, I caught this. Socks on 35th is uh, a really good White Sox um it's not a fan blog. It's probably more than that, but I can't think of a better word to describe them. They do really great work, and I saw them post this, and I, I hope they don't mind. It's it's it is you know it's dugout footage and stuff. It's in other places too, and, and you can find it there. But I I saw it. I loved it. When Liam talks, I listen. I think a lot of people do around this league, and and what you're going to hear here is about two minutes of Liam Hendricks kind of dishing on how he advises minor leaguers. Just a quick story. I was an intern in high A Carolina League Baseball. I was with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. They were a Braves affiliate at the time. And I, I was just an intern. I mean, nobody knew me from Adam. I was just a, I was intern. I was just guy. But I got a chance to, you know, see a lot of different sides of, of minor league life. And at one point, since it was the Braves organization, uh, Tom Glavin made a minor league rehab start with the Pelicans, right? And this, I mean, it was a thing, right? I mean, everybody, Tom Glavin's coming to Myrtle Beach. And the place, the ballpark was absolutely packed. 
every player was like, oh my God, Tom Glavin's going to come pitch. This is like, we're all... So in the pregame warm-up and all that kind of stuff, Glavin's out there throwing his bullpen and every single Pelican pitcher is like lined up against the wall, staring intently, trying to discern what makes Glavin a future Hall of Famer in this bullpen, right? I mean, they're just pouring every ounce, every ounce of their attention into Tom Glavin throwing a bullpen session. And then he gets into the ball game and the whole thing, and Glavin did what big leaguers do. He got the whole. It was just one minor league start for him. I think he left to go back to Atlanta, like right after the game. And when he, you know, after he'd gone, he, we found it. He paid for the spread, like big leaguers do, right? And it was a big, you know, from one of the steakhouses down there. The whole thing. I mean, just guys ate like kings and all that kind of stuff. So that's what happens when big leaguers are down there. But when it's an extended stay, you've got a chance, like a rehab assignment, like. Um, like Liam is, is undergoing, like a reliever undergoes with a multiple kind of uh, chances to, to go at the thing, you get a bit of a different chance to, to bond with, talk with, and kind of glean information from this big leaguer. And, and I thought Liam's conversation about minor league life here with some reporters at AAA Charlotte was a really interesting one, and I, I thought we'd bring it to you here. I was having this conversation with the guys earlier. When I was in AAA, I was making $2,700 a month and had to pay for my own housing. So it's uh, it's slightly different these days, but you see everyone has the common goal of getting to the big leagues. It's not a it's not that hasn't changed at all. Everyone's trying to get down here. They're trying to put their best foot forward. They're trying to make sure that someone notices what they're able to do on the field and be able to get that call up. And it's something that you realize. I, I come down here and I, I've told everyone, ask me any question you want. I don't care. I'm I'm an open book. I'm not one of those salty veterans who's going to come down here making sure that I stick around. I couldn't care less. If it's my time, it's my time. I've accomplished almost everything I want to do in this game. And if it's time for the next the next uh, set of players to come up, or if I can help out anybody that's in a situation where they have an opportunity to make an make an impact on the team, that's great. But you know, they, yeah, you 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 look back and you realize that there were some opportunities that I was able to get that I was very lucky to have, and there were some opportunities that passed some guys by that should have had an opportunity as well and it's uh it's unfortunate part of the game but coming down here and um it, it definitely humbles you and you get to the point where you stop kind of uh taking everything for granted in the big leagues there's a lot of things that you get that are like very nice up there whether it be clubhouses travel uh food and all this sort of stuff you want to make sure that you remind yourself and humble yourself the fact that it it, it can be different, and it can be di- it can be different very quickly. I mean, I went from the big leagues to being DFA'd in 2018, and uh, I was lucky in the fact that I had some good people around me to help. Um, and I it was a I think it was a Mike Piazza quote from years ago that said, "I think everybody who spent seven or eight years in the big leagues should spend a month at least in the minor leagues to gain appreciation for what they have on a day to day basis in the major leagues." And that's something that I I 100 agree. That's White Sox closer Liam Hendricks, and I could not agree more with just about every syllable he uttered there, especially, I mean, not having played big league ball, obviously, but having spent a fair amount of time in and around the minors, I completely, completely agree. It is a very good thing, in my humble opinion, that minor league pay and unionization is 
has happened this year and that these guys are going to be taken care of a little bit better than in the past, the conditions down there can be really difficult for players to just shoot, stay healthy, and, and get better at baseball, much less anything else. So um, it is a really good thing that, that that is in a better situation now than even when guys like Liam were, were toiling away in the minor leagues back in the day. we got to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll wrap up White Sox Weekly. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We are saying goodbye here on White Sox Weekly, and a huge thank you to White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton, White Sox beat reporter Scott Merkin of MLB.com, and to our producers Jake Cantu and Kendra Smith. Don't go anywhere. White Sox pregame show for the Sox and Astros starts in just three minutes on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.